Hello, you're listening to No Such Word as Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. Today we get to hear from fellow marine mammal trainer and conservation advocate Kristen Plancarti. Welcome to the pod. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. I can't wait to you know hear all about your own personal story and obviously you know you're someone else that's fighting the fight out there on social media. Um, but for any of my listeners who might not be familiar with who you are, can you please give them a little summary? Yeah, so um, I am a marine mammal trainer, but um, more recently have also been making the shift kind of like you into a social media and sort of a, a self-driven um, career. So I started my career as an intern, like we all did, at uh, the Vancouver Aquarium and fell in love. Um, marine mammals was not actually what I originally thought I was going to be doing. I thought I was going to be working with land animals. I was always into like tigers and stuff like that. Um, but I fell in love with beluga whales and sea otters. And uh, we had Pacific white-sided dolphins and a number of animals that I've had the pleasure of working with. And uh, so, you know, you know, step by step, uh, basically worked my way in there and until I worked there for um, like 11 years. Uh, yeah. And um, yeah, had a lot, like so many amazing experiences there, um, like too many to count and really enjoyed my time in Canada, became a, a Canadian citizen, um, which I was really passionate about. I know um, you've lived in a number of different places and, mm -hmm. and know the value of that too. So, um, so that was really exciting. And then um, one thing led to another and it was um, time for me to decide whether I was going to get out of the field or I was going to try to um try to you know sort of be reborn again in it um with uh with an opportunity to work with beluga whales here at the mystic aquarium and um they offered me a, a great uh a great uh a great chance and i've um, been down here for almost a year um falling back in love with with those animals yeah i think it's so important to highlight um passion for multiple species as well because you know you've had the privilege of working with so many so where did that passion for marine life or you know you said you loved terrestrials as well where did that come from um you know I'm not really sure where it came from other than to just say like that it was just always a part of me like mm -hmm. my my parents will always said like that I I was just I just I was always down in the creek just you know catching snakes and um, just being very outdoorsy and always in love with animals they would take me to the zoo all of my favorite memories um, involve, involve animals. And they used to, my mom still does sometimes just calling me Kristen Corwin after like Jeff Corwin, because we'd be out on vacation and be like, look at this lizard, you know, that they can regrow their tails, you know, I mean, and it just, mm -hmm. it was just, um, you know, I wouldn't watch, um, you know, normal Sunday morning cartoons. I watched animal planet. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I think that it was just, um, it was just always a passion. And, I knew from a very early age, I'm very lucky um, to have known what I wanted to do, um, which was to work with animals. I didn't, I guess, know that I was going to work with marine mammals, but, um, you know, it was just, it was always there. I knew it was going to happen. And 
and yeah. I, there was nothing that could stop me from making it happen. I think, I think you can relate. So, um, so yeah. And then I just, I got the opportunity. I applied for every single internship under the sun. I think that's really important in this field and something that maybe some people don't realize is that you have to be willing to relocate. Um, I think that that's, that's your easiest way to get in is to just be open to any and all opportunities. And so I applied sure. to every single internship I could possibly get my hands on, like hundreds out of university. Um, and I was like, well, this one in Vancouver, this is crazy. Like, there's no way that, you know, there's four interns. There's no way that I'm going to get one of these spots. Um, like, that's not going to happen. And and it did. And that's just kind of how I, I fell in love with them and fell in love with um, uh, just marine life. And I've just kind of been here ever since. <clears throat> so what was your internship experience like once you got there? Uh, you know, I think that it was it was scary. Um, I, I think that I took a really big leap. You know, I, I, I'm originally from um, from Littleton, Colorado, so a little landlocked. Um, state in the U.S. and uh, I really hadn't been very far outside of that. I went to university in Colorado and so to be like well I'm moving to Vancouver now um, with four strangers and we you know we live together and um, you know in a completely foreign realm for me and I think too as um, you know not to like uh, American bash uh, but like you know we're very very like we live within our bubble a little bit and like, mm. I think it's um, we don't really think about what it's like and so even though it was Canada and it wasn't like crazy it was a bit of a culture shock in a lot of ways mm. and so um, so yeah it was it was scary but it was exciting um, you know I think you go through all the same things that every intern goes through imposter syndrome was like you know, always right here. There's a competitive nature to it that I also think is like a little bit toxic in some mm -hmm. ways. Um, and so it was, um, but it was an overall just amazing experience. And uh, I had a, an awesome opportunity and obviously, um, you know, made an impression there enough that when they had a job opening, basically as, as soon as that internship was over, um, then I was offered one of those positions. So uh, I think that that's, one thing that I learned a lot is that being, um, you know, professional, but also authentically yourself is, is really important because if you're just going through the motions and, um, you know, that that is not, um, you know, you're not showing your personality, then there's yeah. no reason that you stand out. I completely agree. And I love that you touched on the competitiveness of interns, because if there's one thing that I would say is a huge strength of mine but also a flaw it's my competitiveness you know I was a competitive swimmer so that was definitely nurtured in me you know I was encouraged to be competitive and I I really brought that to my internship <laughs> I was extremely competitive and when I look back I know for a fact that if I could rewind time and go back I would tell myself be less competitive like <laughs> yeah. just enjoy it a little bit more like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you're the fastest at scrubbing buckets yeah. or if you get in first and leave like it doesn't matter you know just be yourself so I love yeah. that can you talk a little bit about how you managed to assimilate within Canada like I know you said there's a little bit of a culture shock what were some of the things that helped you you know you ended up staying there for 10 years so you must have managed it quite well yeah I mean I I very quickly fell in love with it. Um, it's a very 
accepting place. Um, and I just, I found a lot of things just made sense. Um, and without, um, you know, without trying to get like too political here, but like, you know, um, that free healthcare thing, that really makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that was, uh, especially for somebody who is getting into this industry. And as we know, unfortunately, this is a very low paying industry. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, having a lot of money was not something, you know, that was in the cards for me. And, uh, as, uh, it was also Vancouver, um, British Columbia is consistently one of the most expensive cities in the world to live in. So, um, so that was definitely a struggle, but, um, I just found that that toward that type of, um, you know, culture really just like made a lot of sense. Um, it was, you know, it's nice to have, um, a support system. And even though I was very competitive, um, with, which I agree, I was actually just talking with my husband last night that I was like, that was, that was not great. That, that, that sort of vibe that I was giving. And I feel like hopefully I've grown and, and it's not like that as much anymore, but, um, but having those people, like they are still friends. Like I still talk to those people from my very first internship. In fact, one of them is one of my very best friends. Uh, so even though we were competitive, I'd like to think that too, you know, there, there is still, um, a camaraderie there that was very helpful in, in assimilating there. And then I also have, uh, an incredible support system. My, um, very fortunate to have like my parents who are just like, go achieve your dreams, you know, and, and are very, um, like that's all they've ever wanted for me. And so mm -hmm. there was an incredible support system that way. And then also, um, uh, my now husband who was just a boyfriend back then, um, came and moved up with me and, and lived with me. And, um, so having him there, we just sort of got to experience Canada together. And, um, I think there's also like, there's a very focus on, on buying local there that I just really love. And even though it's a big city, like that's a huge part of the culture is local things being that close to the ocean is yeah. just something that I like I just don't think I can ever not do again is live near the water I mean I lived in Colorado forever and so there was just so many things and I still I still half of my heart is in Vancouver I I love it and I miss it there and um, I'm really happy that we were able to achieve citizenship so if I want to go back I can go back <laughs> looking for the perfect marine mammal themed Christmas gift for your loved one or wanting to treat yourself this holiday season, then you have to check out Terry Miller Custom Tales Jewelry. Their customized pendants are recreations of your favorite whaler dolphin's tail in sterling silver or gold. They will design by hand a custom tail to look exactly like the flukes of your favorite flippered friend. I have worn my Skyla flukes for almost five years now and I could not recommend them highly enough. Wanting a pendant of a different species? No problem! Send Terry an inquiry email to terry at customtalesjewelry.com or check out their website www.customtalesjewelry.com I think there's something wonderful to be said about, you know, places that can keep you for a decade or more. You know, if it's not your home country, I think that speaks very, very highly of the place. So you kind of, you know, grew up in your career at Vancouver Aquarium and you saw a lot of change um, while you were there. And you also kind of had to go through a lot, not only from the kind of the activist side of the argument, but also kind of from within. So um, let's start 
deconstructing some of that, shall we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so much there. Like I, um, great things about Vancouver being that I, I got to experience, we had a big rescue program. And so I've worked with so many cool animals. I mean, well, the one animal that I have never worked with is your animal. And that's like bucket, <laughs> bucket list for me. Um, but uh, I'm not that great of a swimmer. So I was never able to pass that SeaWorld swim test. But um, well, the swim test changed now because we're that's not in the true. water anymore. That's so you true. never know. Yeah, <laughs> you never know. But we had false killer whales and harbor porpoises. And I worked with walruses. And it just was an incredible um, opportunity there. But and that came with a lot of uh, you know, the, the only reason that we had all those other animals is because some animals um, didn't make it. And, uh, you know, we lost um, a lot of animals when I was there. And learning to to cope with that was like an unexpected lesson, um, mm. I think. And it's, it's a hard one because even now people will ask me, um, you know, here, here at Myst Mystic, some of the assistant trainers asking me, like, how do you deal with this? And I, and I just don't. I just don't know. I don't know what the, I don't know what the proper answer is. I feel mm. like it's, um, it's just, you just have to go through it and you just have to let yourself feel anything that you, that you need to feel. And, and it's going to suck. Like there's no, there's no magic, um, magic equation for, for losing animals. It's, it's really, really rough. Um, but we, we lost some uh, beluga whales, which were of course my heart and soul. And, um, and then and then, of course, you've got the activist portion of it, too. So you're you're struggling through the loss of of these animals. And then people are attacking you and saying that it was your fault and, um, you know, that you're the organization that uh, that caused these types of things. And it's like it's tricky. It's um, you know, I, I feel like you develop a really thick skin and, and you sort of have to. Um, and you have to develop a, a confidence that you you know that that's not true. Um, mm -hmm. And but it's it's hard when people don't see that um and well there's lots behind the scenes that, that those people don't see they don't see yeah. all of the the rehab they don't see all of the vet interventions they don't see all of the team meetings and the 24-hour watches yeah. and everything that you guys are doing to try and save the animals but you know what kind of toll does that take not just on you mentally or you personally but mentally on the rest of the team as well oh it's it's huge and you know those types of it, it's demoralizing um and you're like but we did like we did everything that we could mm. you know and and so why you know why why didn't this work and and the you know the unfortunate reality is that is that they are they are animals and and sometimes that stuff just happens <laughs> and it's yeah. it's hard to accept that there was nothing that you could do mm -hmm. um but you know, all we can do is, is, is be there for them and, and try our best. And especially as a, as a younger trainer, um, when all of that was going on, well, time has like no meaning to me anymore, but I think that that was like at least five or six years ago, maybe even more. So like, hey, I think it was more, <laughs> my gosh, I don't even know anymore. You know, the, no, the I think, I think maybe changing. about five, maybe okay. about five. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, like I, I'm still a, a relatively I think inexperienced and young trainer at that time. And so, um, you know, you looking around going like, was there something we missed and, and stuff like that when you're just not, um, you know, you're not in any position to make any, any sort of calls. And so, uh, and it's, it, it's hard. And a lot of times I think that we don't, um, in this industry, 
we don't sit around and maybe it's different in different places but like a lot of times you an animal would die like even some even a big you know important animal not that they're not all important but you know and and then you have to go do shows like in like like an hour you know and and so there's a lot of like just shoving it down and mm. and moving on that I that I also think is is pretty toxic and so um, I actually made a point to after one of our animals passed away I was like I would like to sit down for an hour with everyone like just as a group and let's just mm. like talk about this a little bit because mm-hmm. um, I feel like that's unfortunately part of how we deal with these things and part of how I, I still deal with things is that I just I just move on I just, I've gotten very good at just moving on and I like, there's no doubt that at some point that's going to catch up. Um, so, so that's really, really hard. And, and like I said, too, when you're dealing with then people attacking you from the outside and, um, you know, there's, there's no outside of your core group of people, there's no support system because everybody yeah. thinks that, um, that it was a part of you and, you know, part of your problem. It's a very, too, um, you know, Vancouver's a very, like, I don't want to say, like, green city, even though it is, but it's just very, um, very, like, what's the word? I don't know. It, it's just very, very active in that way, like, where there's a, a big, there's a big community of, um, of anti-cat people, and um, even though- yeah, people with a certain mindset. Yeah, that are very, they're very set on that, and, um, and even though I still- one of the things that that helps me through all of these types of controversies that we go through is I really do believe if you sit down and you look at it, it's a very small, like relative to the, the wider scope world. Of, yeah. Yeah. It's a very small group of people that are just very loud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and once you realize that um, it's very, it becomes easier to brush them off. And, um, you know, and also once you realize that, um, that they're not, they're not listening to you or anyone else. Like they, mm-hmm. they don't, they don't have listening skills. And so, um, so there's no point in getting really worked up about it. Um, cause there was a point in time where, uh, when this whole controversy was going on that, um, Jane Goodall came out against the Vancouver Aquarium. Um, that must was, have hurt. Oh, it was crushing. She is like one of my favorite people. And so I actually, somewhere out there exists an article. I did an op-ed in a newspaper that, um, that got published about like how, how harmful and hurtful that was. And I, I still believe that it probably wasn't even Jane Goodall that actually wrote it. It was, um, you know, probably one of her, you know, just, it was just PR team and, and just that sort of thing. But um but yeah I mean like that kind of stuff is like so like as animal people like we just we have to stick together and support each other you know and so it's um it's really surprising uh, though because I've had interviews from her before on like Disney's Animal Kingdom and like support of of zoos and that's something that always baffles me is like the kind of double standard of like well why is a zoo okay but yeah I mean well she's very yeah and she's very very openly been an advocate of, um, you know, certain facilities that have chimpanzees that are, um, you know, doing great work. And so I, I, you know, I said that in the op-ed, I was just like, I don't understand where you're getting this difference. And, um, and that's, you know, don't want to turn this into a, a, a podcast where we, where we, bash Jane Goodall but uh, but oh, yeah. no, definitely not like <laughs> love but her. that's uh, yeah I know but that's you know 
that's part of the thing too is that it, it's a funny thing where people are like um you know it, it started with um killer whales shouldn't be under human care and now it's like no every cetacean and and now um i don't know if you've seen but in canada as well they have a pinniped ban now mm -hmm. happening and so um and right now it excludes two facilities one of those being vancouver aquarium but that it's just a it's a progressive thing right it, the the end goal is that there should be no animals under human care and i vehemently disagree with that well this is something that we discussed when i was on the orca team at laurel park the day that the breeding ban came into effect you know <laughs> the right. date was announced on social media and the trainers also found out that day that was oh good super fun yeah um you know we were immediately like why have they done this because like they've done it to have they done it to try and placate the activists and say okay we've listened to you now leave us alone like they're never yeah. gonna leave us alone like they're not no. gonna stop with this they're gonna take the win and they're gonna keep going yeah so yeah it's it is quite ridiculous you know and i think we're both very vocal on social media and everything else at trying to stick up for you know what we understand to be our jobs and our industry yeah. that we're super passionate about but it must have been like it was difficult for trainers that didn't work at vancouver aquarium when everything started to kind of i'm going to use the words fall apart mm -hmm. <laughs> um it was difficult for us because vancouver aquarium was such a well-respected loved facility that did a lot of really great work and had a great track record and none of us understood why Vancouver Aquarium was being the one to come yeah. under all of this fire it made no sense to us so I can't even imagine what it was like as a trainer to be there during that yeah it, like it was really it was really hard it was a very you know I I look back at it and I, and I really um I really appreciate the amount of growth that I think that has come from that type of pain, but I don't think that it was like, uh, it was not a, you know, not a fun time. I do think though, that there are things that, um, you know, that the facility could have done differently to hope in the hopes of like mitigating these types of things. And I think mm -hmm. this is something that, um, our industry as a whole, I feel like, uh, is very used to reactive um action and not necessarily like being proactive mm. and so like you said there's this very like okay well we're not gonna breed anymore so leave us alone well we all know that that's not going to happen so mm -hmm. like you know I, I don't know getting ahead of of some of these things and i think that there are um you know in this industry as like i'm a i'm a staunch advocate but i also think that there are um you know there's value in critiquing what we do as well and making sure oh, absolutely that, yeah like that we are always improving that should be like um a huge part of the industry is well we should know. be able to have nuance within mm -hmm. it like i think no one's perfect no one facility is doing it 100 percent completely right you know so i think it's important as trainers even on the individual level as a trainer to look at your how you're working every day and say hmm could I do some of this better for my animals? And then also at a wider facility level and go, hey, what can we improve upon here? And then also at an industry-wide level. It's why we yeah. have conferences. It's why we oh, chat absolutely. to one another. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's like, I, it's something that I try to, I try to, um, you know, sort of practice what I preach and like, mm. I'll be out training a behavior and, and I'll come off and, and ask the intern what they think. What do they see? What, you know, mm -hmm. because you can learn something from anyone at any point in time. And I mm -hmm. feel like that that sometimes gets lost. Um, 
people get to a certain level and feel like they they know everything and 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 you just don't um there's just there's always room to learn and the second that you stop learning what's even the point (laughs) um and i think that like you said like you know that's sort of the you know at our level but at at a at a higher level too like these companies should be should be doing this should be getting ahead of of saying um you know hey listen we're um you know we're gonna adapt our show because we think that um, you know, we're going to go a more educational route. We think that that's better for the, you know, for the animals and, and, you know, or anything, you know, we're going to change this and this because, um, because we think that the way we were doing it was maybe not the best way. And we're going to change that. Mm-hmm. Um, and being a little bit more honest about those types of conversations. I feel like there was a big, still is like a big push to be like, we're taking the best possible care of our animals. And, and I know we are, we're doing the best that we can, but that doesn't mean that there's not room for improvement and that we shouldn't be like accepting for, for, you know, ways that we can improve everything that we're doing. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think that that's kind of one of my, my biggest critiques of the industry as a whole. And something that I saw a lot when we were in Vancouver was a lot of these knee jerk reactions because before, before they even put the ban on cetaceans, um, Vancouver Aquarium had already said, we're no longer going to have cetaceans. Mm. Um, and it was just kind of like, I don't know. It was, it, it's um, a funny thing. Do you think that to... was them trying to be proactive? Or yeah, placate? well, it's, it's hard to say because you're not in those meetings. You don't, of course. You know, um, but it, it, you know, it's just a hard thing to say like if we because we had always been told that they they believed in what we were doing they believed in like having these animals they believed that um you know the research that we were doing was really really important and that the the people that we were reaching that was like one of a kind and we were we were doing something important and then to be like well we're not gonna do it anymore is just kind of like but why i thought i thought we were doing a good thing i thought we had a good thing going it feels like a massive betrayal doesn't it yeah, absolutely. And and so there was a lot of that. And then then those people that made those decisions then left the aquarium. Um mm. so it was it was a very tumultuous time and and of course then bookended by a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it's been a crazy crazy last um last few years. But yeah, it's um it's hard. It's a uh you know, it's one of those things where you you have to ride this line of um, you know constantly improving your care, but also being very adamant that what you're doing, you believe in what you're doing, you believe in your yeah. facility, you believe in your um, your staff, and um, and that's something that I don't think was necessarily um, as prevalent in Vancouver as I wished it had been. Do you think that's why you started being very outspoken on social media? Yeah, I think. Well, I think there's a couple things like, first of all, yeah, I did, I did find a lack of, um, a lack of genuine communication, like a lack of, um, authenticity mm-hmm. in, in what, like there was a message of like, no, we're doing, we're doing great. Thanks. Which is not necessarily true. And like, you know, we could be like, we're, we're improving this and this and this and, and stuff like that. I, I feel like, um, there are also like, there are interesting challenges with having cetaceans under human care. Like, mm-hmm. so I, I firmly believe that like, no, uh, like 
not no person, but like it's a very few amount of people that would want to like just go live in the woods and exist the way that nature it takes a special person yeah yeah and so and, and i i believe that the same I, we can never know but i believe that the same idea would exist if we could communicate that to to most of our animals but that doesn't mean that having animals under human care is like just like they're here they're fine like there there are things that we need to provide yeah. for them and and we need to be constantly um trying to be better and, and do better and um and so like those types of things I found really missing. Like why, like, why are we just saying like all the time, like our messaging was supposed to be like, nope, they're perfect. It's all okay. And like, whereas what if like, I always found I went a little rogue at this point, but like, you know, be out talking with people. If I was honest with like, yeah, you know, we don't want them to be bored. And so, you know what we do, we do all of these different things and we make sure that this enrichment is happening and, and this type of training is keeping mm. them active and the social group is always changing. And these are all the types of things that we're doing to combat that, but it is a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, talking about things like that is, um, I just, I feel like is, is important. And, um, you know, there, there are, there are definitely things that are different under human care and, and we need to, to be aware of them. And, and I think that, being honest with people I found was a, uh, they, I connected with them more, um, mm -hmm. and they sort of seemed to take away, um, of, cause people know when you're just, you know, BSing them, they, they know that they're not like, yeah, people aren't silly. So, um, so yeah, I found that. And I also, you know, I love working with animals. I always have, and I, I've fallen in love with a great many creature <laughs> in, in my time, um, of working with them, but I started to, find that a a huge part of of what I loved was talking to people and seeing mm. seeing people be just amazed and just like hearing a fact they've never heard before seeing a beluga whale melon wiggle and <laughs> and just and it just blowing their mind hearing the vocalizations and just you know people would cry sometimes we do our encounters and they get to touch a beluga whale and mm. um and it, it's life-changing um and I like to believe that, you know, when you're, people are coming through your door, there's probably, you know, for a handful of people, you are literally changing their lives. You know, a lot of times maybe that's kids who grow up to want to do something like this or want to do research or whatever, but you're, you're changing the world in, in some small way. And that became, um, like almost as important to me as working with the animals. I think that there's, the majority of people in this field, um, I feel like, uh, like animals more than they like people, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> which is, and, and have a connection with animals more than they do with people. Um, and that was just never uh, really the case for me. I, I have a, a very strong connection with animals, but I also just really enjoy um, talking with people and sharing that passion with people. Um, and so then the pandemic hit and we were closed and there was no more people. <laughs> and that was really, really hard for me. Um, we, you know, we had some fun too, because we were able to do some things that, that we would have never been able to do. Mm -hmm. But it also like, there was zero interaction. And, and the Vancouver Aquarium was closed for a lot longer than, than most other facilities. Like basically like over the course of the two year period, like about a year and a half. Mm. And, and that was like really a struggle for me. And so that's when I sort of started these social media platforms and started finding a way to connect with people 
um, without having to breathe their infected air. <laughs> What you were talking about earlier about, okay, having to say exactly what the company has told you to say, even though yeah. you might want to expand on that a little bit more, you know, you can kind of do that on your social media. So what was your attitude towards, okay, I'm going to start talking to more people, opening up my channels. Where did you go? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, too, because I was, it was a bit of a journey. Um, you know, I was, I was kind of in a place where I was do I do I want to do this forever you know I mean and I feel like you get to a certain age and this is in a lot of ways this is a young person's job you know it's we are very active it's a lot um and it's mentally physically it's just exhausting and so during the pandemic I was feeling a lot of things like I said feeling missing the, that human interaction but like also like is this when is this going to end? Is this really for me? And so I started um, a Twitch channel, which is uh, Twitch is like uh, sort of historically a, a gaming platform. Yeah. And so I was like, well, I'll just play video games for a living. This is going to be great. Uh, and it didn't work out that way uh, because as soon as basically as soon as I was live, people found me that were that were fans of the Vancouver Aquarium. They're like, hey, I know you, Who, you know, and so it ended up being me just talking about marine mammals and yeah. I loved it and I just loved it. So um, I just was getting that, that interaction and that feedback uh, and was able to be, like you said, like a little bit more, a little bit more honest, a little bit more autonomous. And, and I feel like sharing the struggles that zoos and aquariums are facing and the things that they do need to improve upon just like lended validity to what I was saying and mm. um, made it so, I, th I think people people trust me as a you know my followers trust me as somebody who will tell them the way that it is. Um, I'm not going to just blindly, you know, tell them that oh yeah no everything's fine you know this uh, this situation was not a big deal don't worry about it zoos are great um, you know zoos and aquariums like have challenges that we need to be constantly improving um, and that's like how we've gotten here and how we're going to continue growing so. So yeah, it sort of started that way. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll make a YouTube channel. And uh, my Instagram started getting a little bit bigger. And then I got pretty big on TikTok, um, which is now like, I put off getting on TikTok for forever. And now I'm just like, completely addicted. It's horrible. <laughs> I, I always tell people like, even though I'm, I've got a big following on TikTok, but I'm like, you know what, if you don't, if you're worried about your productivity, just don't, just don't. Yeah, do it. Like, you will spend like three hours on there and feel like it, 30 minutes has passed. It's so bad. I, I can't even sleep because the corn song is in my head like uh, constantly. And me so, and my husband now could just quote each other TikTok songs yes, like we're in the yeah. car. It's insane. Yeah, it's, it's awful. It's great, but it's also awful. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, so, you know, I just started and then I was like, maybe I can make something bigger out of this. Um, and I started to host, um, live on my Twitch channel, um, charity events. And we, the first one we hosted was for the Cornish seal sanctuary. Um, and I reached out to them and, and they were happy to involve us. And we raised like a little over $3,000 for them. Amazing. And yeah, and that was really fun. They named a little seal after us and, and it got released and it was really great. And then we did the Monterey Bay aquarium. We raised like ten thousand dollars for them um and then the alaka alliance which um 
I'll only touch talk talk about a little bit briefly here, but they are a um, an indigenous uh, forward group that is promoting the uh, reintroduction, hopeful reintroduction of sea otters off the coast of Oregon, where it's part of like their traditional range. And they're using a lot of that, um, you know, indigenous people's input because that's something that has traditionally not happened. Um, and I did a 24 hour stream for them, which I will never, ever, ever, ever <laughs> do again. It's miserable. Um, but we raised $22,000 um, for them. So absolutely incredible. Wow. And um, and hopefully, you know, when we still follow closely with them. And then just recently in February, we did um, Ocean Conservation Namibia. I don't know if you've heard of them, mm -hmm. but they have a, a pretty big YouTube channel and we raised like 10000 or $11,000 for them or something like that. So it became something I'm like, well, this is this is an actual impact like yeah. that I'm having with just my small little little channel. And I don't know why, you know, why are, why on an organizational level are people not doing this? Because um, you know, this social media has become like a, it's a way that you can, you can reach people like that's, that's far beyond anything that that's ever happened before. And I, yeah. um, I don't know why a lot of other facilities, um, you know, didn't really capitalize that capitalize on that during the pandemic, like have live streams or, you know, some facilities did and they, and they really caught on that that was something that, that they could do to, to keep that connection alive. But um, a lot of facilities were just like, well, we're closed. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, but there's so much that we can do here. And like, um, you know, live streams raise so much money for um, for people and, and awesome organizations. And so that's become a big part of um, of what I do as well. And then started a YouTube channel and, and the whole thing's just kind of gotten a little out of control. I feel like I need a staff at this point. I'm sure that you can sort of relate. With oh, them. yeah. It's mm -hmm. just like if I had an assistant, that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, doing it with a full-time job as a trainer on top of it is hell. Um, yeah. So I don't even know how you're. Lots of coffee, lots of yes. coffee is yeah. uh, is the secret. But you know, it does show the amount of impact that one person can have through harnessing social media. So you know, something I'm very passionate about is trying to teach zoos and aquariums how to appropriately use and harness that power of social media because yeah. I think traditionally they've been very afraid of it because social media was initially the tool that was used by activists mm -hmm. to kind of start all of their smear campaigns against yeah. marine parks. So, you know, I understand the reluctance and within that comes, you know, kind of trying to not have trainers individually be out there on social platforms. You know, I'm sure you felt very lucky and I was also very lucky, you know, with Marineland who allowed me to be very vocal and say my piece and be an individual, but still within the organization. Yeah. I know not every facility is like that. Right. Um, so what is your opinion kind of going forward? How should facilities and trainers be using social media to help? Yeah, I mean, I think that, well, like you said, and I don't know that, um, I don't know that the Vancouver Aquarium was actually like super aware of all of the things that I was doing on social media, <laughs> but I took the sort of, um, I took the, the mentality of like, it's better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission sort of a thing. And I'm not, I'm not condoning that um, necessarily, but imagine, like you said, like if, if facilities were like, Hey, I want you, you know, you've got a, a, a following on, on social media. Like, are you comfortable? Would you like to, you know, do a collaboration here um, or, you know, just sort of speak out and things like that. I think that you can, you can show like a trust in your employees mm -hmm. um, and you can also um, get your, get your message out wider. And 
I also think that I'm hoping, um, like some, uh, you know, Mystic Aquarium is actually very active on Instagram and on um, TikTok as well. And I'm hoping that by, by doing that, they're also realizing that, um, like when, if you actually go, and I know we all are very sensitive to seeing the, oh, it's a whale jail, you know, type of mentality, but mm -hmm. if you actually go into the comments, that's like, it's like 5% maybe of the, of the comments that these people are getting. Like it yeah. really is a very small amount. There is a lot of support. And so, um, I mean, I would, I would say it depends on the species. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah. I think it, when you, when you're posting videos of killer elves, I would say it's about 95% comments, people saying, oh, they shouldn't be there. Um, you know, otters are, I think in the public perception, very cute and people yeah. like to see them which again to me and to you and to a lot of people listening to this podcast you're like this massive double standard because <laughs> well, yada yeah. yada yada but no it is incredibly important to kind of have facilities harnessing it a little bit more and kind of making those wider connections even when people can't walk into the park they still have access to this kind of information yeah and I think that too um you know one thing that I, um, you know, I was encouraging people to do in their, in their um, interactive programs, if you have like a, uh, you know, a guest interactive program and stuff like that is to, and, and to do this on social media is to show, why don't we show an actual blood draw? Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's something that I don't think gets done a lot because it's a medical procedure and there's a lot of, you know, sort of red tape around that. But but these animals are very obviously doing this voluntarily. Yeah. There's no way that you can hold on to a killer whale's tail if they don't want you to. So, like, these those types of things, I think that we should be more out there and people will understand. And, and why don't we, um, you know, showcase, uh, like, at the Mystic Aquarium, we do a lot of research. Like, once a week, we do an enormous amount of, like, sampling. The, the animals do chuff samples and there's blood samples and there's fecal samples and all of these things are very obviously like to, to any person's eye like a voluntary behavior and so you get to see that and get to understand the bigger impact that this is all having and and what what's going into it and i think that showcasing that more on social media being more vocal um can only help i think traditionally facilities it, it, you know and this sort of started with with sea world was to just be quiet and it'll just blow mm -hmm. over and it didn't, <laughs> and and it got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse. And I think that that was a that was a huge, a huge missed opportunity. Was you know just we'll just be quiet, and and it'll just go away. Um, and it's not going to. That we have to be loud. Um, we have to be vocal and and supportive, and um, and you know unapologetically, you know, like I said, authentic. Like what what we're doing is is important and we're always going to be making improvements just like everyone should be trying to make improvements with themselves and their everyday lives and everything that you do um of course it's not it's not perfect but um but we're here and uh and we believe in what we're doing you know i love that i think that is honestly the perfect finishing statement so <laughs> Kristen, thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy schedule yeah. <laughs> to you chat too. with us today <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is always super fun. I love 
uh, it's so it's so nice to hear from people from different facilities and and get to hear that um, when you don't get to like I didn't get to make it to any conferences this year so yeah. it's just really nice to really nice to chat with animal people people who who get it <laughs> for sure Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this week's episode, then please don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe. Sharing on social media is always a bonus, and I will catch you guys next week.